Good morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege it is to be your people gathered together in this place with the freedom to look at your word, to explore it, to see what it has to say to us and that we might respond to you appropriately. We pray for that work of your spirit in our minds and hearts, shaping us and directing us so that we might not only hear your voice, but we might do that which you call us to do in response to it. Heavenly Father, teach us now, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, the Sermon on Mission, the second great teaching block in Matthew's Gospel, is really a series of instructions to his 12 apostles as they set off on a rather limited mission to Jewish people, exclusively to Jewish people, following strictly the pattern of Jesus' own mission throughout Galilee. You might remember from last week that Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so he urged his disciples to pray. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to thrust out workers into his harvest. Then he sent out the twelve. The Lord of the harvest sent these twelve workers into his harvest. He gathered them. He gave them instructions and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand and to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers and cast out demons. This was the mission Jesus had been engaged in throughout Galilee and this was now what they were to do. These 12 for a short time in a limited area. But before too long in these instructions, Jesus seems to shift his attention from their mission to the mission of these 12 and the others who will join them in a mission throughout the ages. We know, I hope we know, that there are two commissions in Matthew's Gospel. There is this one in Matthew 10 and there is the other at the end of Matthew's Gospel. This one... Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The one at the end of the gospel, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. One, limited and restricted, no one else but this group. The other, universal of all nations, to the end of the age. And one of the big questions that must come in our minds as readers of this gospel, who know where it's heading and what the great climactic ending is, must be how do these two missions relate to each other? How does the mission which the apostles undertook relate to the mission entrusted to all Jesus' disciples to the ends of the earth and the end of the age. Is this just what this mission is going to be like or is it what mission is always to be like? So Matthew 10 then is a wonderful test case on how we read the Bible. We know that this is the word of God, powerful, transforming and life-giving, the means by which God equips and trains his people to live as his disciples between the ascension and Jesus' return. And so we have a real and legitimate concern to apply what we read here. 
We want our Bible reading and our Bible teaching to be applied. And so we're tempted to draw immediate connections, particularly when it comes to the New Testament, between what is written and our own situation. Yet we also know that not all the Bible is written about us, even if it is written for us. So is this sermon about us or for us? And why then do we need to hear it? Let's take a closer look and see from Matthew chapter 10 and verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the labourer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it, and if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles." When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved." When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor does a servant, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both body and soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. 
For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever, rescue, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. You could divide this passage, this sermon, into five smaller sections. A limited mission in verses 5 to 15 an opposed mission, verses 16 to 25, a guarded mission, a divisive mission, and a rewarded mission. Let's start with a limited mission. There are quite a few indications as this sermon begins that Jesus was speaking about a very specific mission, one that was short, sharp, even somewhat rushed, and which was deliberately structured to reflect Jesus' own mission. First, the audience is limited only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Of course, there would be time, a time for a mission to the Gentiles. That is what the mission at the end of the gospel makes clear, but it was not yet. Jesus would even say of himself in a couple of chapters' time, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And now he sends the 12 to that same group. This is his mission, his immediate earthly mission, multiplied through the sending out of the 12 apostles. Second, the preparations are limited. Take no money. Take no change of clothes. Rely upon the hospitality of those who might be worthy in any town to which you go. They don't get to pack a bag or saddle a donkey or anything like that. It's almost as if they're in a rush and those things would slow them down. They will need to travel light. Third, the time scale is limited. If one town won't receive you, go to another. Don't waste your time by persisting in a place for a long time because if we read down just a little further in verse 23, you won't even get through all the towns in Israel before the Son of Man comes. There's not that much time. The the echo is of Daniel 7, isn't it? Uh, The coming of the Son of Man to the Ancient of Days. On the other side of the crucifixion will be Jesus' resurrection and then his ascension, the coming of the Son of Man in the clouds of heaven to the Father. They won't even get through all the towns in Israel before Daniel 7 finds its fulfilment. There is not that much time. So a short, sharp mission with a limited scope, a limited audience, limited preparations, limited timescale. So we ought to be a little bit careful before suggesting that each one of these things applies directly to us. Some of the monks you might remember in the Middle Ages would point to this mission of the apostles to justify their own pattern of poverty and itinerant ministry, 
Don't take anything with you. Rely on what others will give you. Keep moving and don't stay in one place for too long. Yet you do not have to go very much further into the New Testament before you find the apostles going to the Gentiles with the gospel and embarking on longer journeys needing more extensive preparations. Paul would ask Timothy to bring to him the cloak he left in Troas and the scrolls and the parchments and they would make preparations for long-term ministry in Judea, Samaria and throughout the Mediterranean world appointing elders in every town. Jesus was preparing his apostles for what they should expect in this limited mission they were engaged in in Galilee before they all headed to Jerusalem. But in doing so, he was also preparing them for the larger, longer mission to come. For as Jesus went on to say, there might not be much time but there will be enough time for opposition. Which takes us to the second section of this sermon from verse 16. Behold, I am sending you out as a sheep in the midst of wolves. It is at this point uh, that we begin to see the teaching of Jesus broaden out beyond just this mission. Jesus spoke of being delivered over to the courts, dragged before governors and kings, being betrayed by those closest to you, those you might have thought would be with you, supporting you. And we're simply not told whether any of this actually happened to the Twelve during that brief mission in Galilee. We're not told whether any of the apostles were dragged before governors and kings at this time. We're not told whether they were betrayed by family and friends, those they'd grown up with in Galilee. But we do know that before too long it would happen as the Great Commission at the end of the Gospel shapes the early church in the Acts of the Apostles, this is exactly what happens. The Apostle Paul would stand before governors and kings, as many others have done since. Before too long, the mission would repeatedly be betrayed by some who ought to have been supporters. Judas Iscariot, of course, Alexander the coppersmith, Demas, and then there are those who surrendered Christian friends and relatives during the great persecutions of the early church, those who tracked down and handed over William Tyndale in Antwerp, those who vilify and seek to silence a faithful witness to the gospel even today. Yes, there will always be enough time for opposition. And you ought to expect it. Of course, it can floor you when it comes... It can come as a bitter and painful shock and the direction from which it comes might be totally unexpected but it ought not to be a surprise. And Jesus explains why. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Friends, are you ready for people to tell lies about you? Are you ready for people to drag your name through the mud with no reason to do so except that they hate the message you preach and the life you live? Whether or not it happened in those few days or weeks of the Apostles' mission, it happened repeatedly during the time of the Great Commission. 
and you ought to be ready for it. Because if you're not, it can bring you down. But it is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. Remember how human beings responded to Jesus. The baying crowd outside Pilate's palace on that Friday morning, the accusing venomous religious leaders who were not prepared to be challenged by God's word incarnate. And there is something else you should remember. Mission, their mission and ours, might be an opposed mission, but it's also a guarded mission, and so there is no need to be afraid. So thirdly, a guarded mission. Verse 26, I have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Yes, there will be opposition. There will always be opposition. How can it be otherwise, given the way they treated our teacher and master? But there is no reason to be afraid because everything will come into the light. The real motives, the real state of affairs, the message we've been given to take to the world, it will all be out in the open because nothing is hidden from God. And what's more, Jesus says, what's the worst they can do? Put your body to death? They can't touch your soul. They can't extinguish you. They can't take you away from the care of your heavenly father. Now, through the centuries, men and women have understood this. This lies behind the courage of the Christian martyrs in the face of death, walking into the arena, climbing the scaffold, being tied to the stake. Our lives belong to God. Our lives are in his care and keeping. And the very worst they can do will simply usher us into the presence of God. And our Father who cares for even the most insignificant of his creatures, even the sparrows, is the one who holds our life in his hand. Yes, the opposition might be fierce, but it cannot win. And in this context, Jesus spoke about the confrontation that matters most. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. In the face of opposition, which wants more than anything else to silence the ambassadors of Christ, to force a repudiation of his lordship, what matters is this great truth. If we stand firm announce his claim on us and on all the world in the light of all that he has done, then we will hear him acknowledge us before his Father on that great day. This battered, bruised, unfairly treated but faithful servant is mine. She is mine. 
he is mine. And won't they be great words to hear? Those who opposed, if, if they are faithful, those who are opposed, if they are faithful to him, are entirely safe, even in the midst of the fiercest opposition. But the point is, for the apostles that day and for us now, don't be fooled. Be alert and aware of what you are part of as missioners of Christ, wherever you are. And so Jesus went on to speak about the division we can expect. It is and always has been a divisive mission, from verse 34. There is a divisiveness, of course, that is ungodly and is to be avoided by all Christian people. That's the kind of divisiveness that loves to set one group against another, the divisiveness born of party spirit or tribalism, the divisiveness that really is just pride and self-centeredness in another guise. We ought to have nothing to do with that. Paul wrote to Titus, as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once or then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Division is not something we should desire or pursue. Divisiveness is not a fruit of the spirit and it is not a characteristic of Christian men and women. And yet the gospel mission will divide. And sometimes there comes a point where that division, not on the basis of personality or self-interest, but on the matter of faithfulness to the gospel, becomes inevitable. And we are seeing that played out right around us right now, aren't we? Those who are standing where Christians through the centuries have always stood on the authority of God's word, in faith and with repentant obedience to God, facing those who have moved away from that word and reconfigured faith and the entire idea of obedience to suit themselves. It is a tragedy of the highest order, but it does not come as a surprise. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth, Jesus told his disciples. There will be division and it will be intense. And here's the real rub, it will be intensely personal. The words in this section of the sermon are hard words, aren't they? Words we'd rather avoid, but they are the testimony of some even in this room this morning. A person's enemies will be those of his own household. The division between those who will follow Christ in confident trust and determined obedience on the one hand and those who for whatever reason refuse will cut right through the most personal relationships. And those of you who have experienced that will know how really painful that is. Yet we need to take these words of Jesus very seriously Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You see, along the way in this sermon, the words given for us have become the words about us what we are to expect in the mission in which we are engaged. Following the crucified Saviour 
means taking up his cross, expecting to be opposed as he was opposed, but valuing him above everything else and so bearing the opposition in hope of the vindication to come. Which brings us to the last part of the sermon, a rewarded mission from verse 40. How we respond to the mission and how we respond to those faithfully engaged in the mission really matters. It really matters. And even the smallest kindness, the incidental, apparently insignificant mercy given to those who are Christ's is noticed by the one whose disciple they are. Uh, There have been, in my own life, uh, very many small things, or things that at least people in the world would consider to be small, that have touched my life very deeply. Acts of generosity and hospitality and kindness that were given to me for no other reason than that I am a brother in Christ who is loved because he is a brother in Christ and engaged in the same gospel mission. And those things have remained with me for decades. The gentle word, the unexpected visit, the willingness even in the middle of the night to come and do the little thing that takes the edge off an immense tragedy. They shake you, those things. But even more than that, whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple... Truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Friends, there's so much to explore in this sermon. We could take it apart paragraph by paragraph, even verse by verse, and there is much for us to learn. In one sense, we just skated over the surface this morning. It's worth thinking about what it means to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. The wonderful gift of the Spirit to enable us to say what needs to be said when we have the opportunity to speak. But it is worth, too, hearing this sermon in its entirety. A sermon which began giving instructions for one particular mission and ends up exposing the realities of all mission. And these are words, then, which we, who are engaged in mission now and are preparing to be even more involved in mission in the future, need to hear. It is an extraordinary privilege to be involved in God's mission of bringing all things under the feet of Christ. It is an extraordinary privilege to follow the Saviour whose love for you and me led him to the cross with all that that meant. Yet it will face opposition and it will bring division. Yet our Father himself will guard his mission. He will guard those engaged in that mission not always in the way that is most obvious to the world. The martyrs still died. It sometimes appears as if the boisterous, angry opponents of the gospel have won the day. But this mission will not fail in the end. Because in the end, the wolves don't win. The shepherd wins. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you guard your gospel and that you guard those who are engaged in the work of your gospel. And we pray that you might grant to us to have such a realistic picture of what it is that we are involved in 
that we are ready when the opposition comes and we are faithful to the end. For we long for that day when, Lord Jesus, you will acknowledge us before your Father. And so we pray, having heard your word this morning, that you might give us grace to heed it. For Jesus' sake.